Welcome to Returning to Base, a MechWarrior Living Legends podcast. Today's topic is meta and playstyles. I am your host, Warlord Kentax, and here are my guests, Kidzen. Hello there. Liko. Greetings. And Direwolf. Hello. Uh, so, uh, I guess, uh, Kidzen, you can start out. Uh, sure, um, hi, I'm Kidzen. Um, I've been playing Living Legends for, like, a decade. Uh, I'm a Clan Smoke Jaguar member, a uh, long time as well, kind of went through two iterations of it. Uh, I love and hate this game, uh, I love and hate this community. Uh, I can... You you really should give the game a go if you if you consider it though. Uh, yeah, that's about it. And uh, Liko, how about you? Hi there. Um, my internet alias is Liko. That is what people call me. I am the community manager of MechWarrior Living Legends, um, among a few other hats that I wear internally, with uh, quality assurance and a few other things. And uh, I'm also the de facto leader of Clan Jade Falcon. Um, and I've been playing MechWarrior Living Legends since December 2010, which is a very long time. All right, I think the they... Direwolf. Yeah. yeah, so, yes, I am Direwolf. Uh, not to be confused with Mech of the same name, and not to be confused with the other Direwolf in the community, who is one of the moderators on our Discord server. Uh, so, Direwolf2k, I guess. Uh, hello. And unlike the other people here, I have actually... I think I've been playing the least amount of time, so as of, I want to say, late 2018, 2017. Uh, and I mostly just play the video game. I'm a member of Clan Jade Falcon. I do some testing for the development team every once in a while. Uh, and I run events called Merc Nights uh, once every weekend, uh, Saturdays or Sundays, Most usually two train control events per month and two single life drops per month. Uh, we're basically just like, I have people show up on TeamSpeak, they, I, I make them all talk to each other, or as much as they, as they can, and you play the video game. Uh, so the train controller games are usually like on a passworded server, so everybody who's in them has to be able to hear each other. They're all on the same TeamSpeak server. Uh, that's the only way they get the password. So games there tend to be a lot more like coordinated than pub games do. And I think it's a really good way to learn the game and to get the most out of what train control has to offer, like when played at the highest level, even if you aren't necessarily that with the game. Uh, and I really, really love single life events. I'm sorry that Chaos March is no longer around, but I've been trying to fill in that gap by hosting single life stuff. You should show up. It's great. Community's great. Game is great. Constantly being updated. A good time. So, meta. I'm sure a lot of players hear that, you know, that phrase thrown around all the time. What does meta even mean? Do you all have a good definition for it? Well, the metagame is the game of knowing the game. In other words, uh, being savvy to the metagame requires having enough knowledge of all of the game's mechanics and how everything is balanced and when to use what and when not to use other things. Stuff like that. So, like, when it's good to use Nosiris and when it's good not to use Nosiris. Sure. Yeah, that definitely seems... About right. Um, I usually just think about it. What's the strongest uh, at given category, right? So for light, medium, heavy, assaults, and so on. Place to also set them up as well. So yeah, what does the best? That would be the meta for me. 
Yeah, I I agree with pretty much both the I agree with both the previous, uh, but I also think there's like an additional element of kind of maybe not what not not what's the strongest overall, but rather what's best against certain other picks. Because like usually, there's just so many different niches and so many different asset, assets and different types of weapons, things like that, that occasionally something will be very exceptional at a very specific role, say a long range role or something that's very good at I don't know pinpoint damage. And then the idea is that you realize, okay, this is what's a really strong counter to this particular type of asset and this particular situation. So do I want something fast? Do I want something really tanky? Something lots of pinpoint damage? Something that's like good at dealing with pinpoint damage? Like lots of screen shake? Something like that. Also, um, I know that we've got more than one game, sort of, uh, in Living Legends. There's more than one game mode. We've got Terrain Control. We've got Solaris Arena. We've got uh, Team Solaris Arena. We've got Test of Strength, which, even though it's usually just played on the testing server, is in itself a legitimate uh, game mode that just rarely ever gets played that way. And uh, am I missing any? Well, there's organized play as well. Aha. Yes. So is the meta different for organized play than it is for terrain control, say? Yeah, that's the biggest um, if for, or, or the biggest other question for me when uh, you talk about the meta game is, are you talking about uh, what we call pub games um, or public games? That's what it's short for. Um, or are you talking about organized games, which can take several different formats, including a normal terrain control game, but a little more focused and more sweaty, or what we call a single-life drop uh, in mech warrior parlance, or what might more commonly be called a deathmatch, um, where the dynamics in play are very different because there's no respawns, and you're basically only fighting one battle, and you need to make all of your armor and all of your damage count in that one battle instead of having many battles over many different areas. Is that kind of like uh, Counter Strike or Mech Warrior Online? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, organized play, like name suggests, is organized, so it relies heavily on uh, team working together and often assets that just wouldn't use in you know in pub game. Um, they can shine in uh, organized game for just synergies and stuff like that. I know I said that uh, we probably weren't going to uh, break this down into different uh, topics, but it might be good to break it down into each of the different game modes and what is meta in that game mode. And then I think we should probably dedicate an amount of time to each topic about equal to how much that game mode even really comes up in the community. That'd be a sensible way of breaking things up. Mm-hmm. I agree. Seeing as how it's the least played format... Um. Uh, we should probably start with uh, test of strength. Uh, what uh, do you all know much about the meta for test of strength? I know just a little. My understanding was that it was just only used for testing. Like I've only ever seen it used on testing servers or as a way to like facilitate buying any asset if you're doing organized play. Yeah, I wouldn't say that test of strength is played frequently enough to have to have a defined meta game. Because an important aspect of there being a metagame is uh, the frequency with which choices are made um, and knowing uh, what people like to do. Uh, And test of strength is sort of an oddity because most of the time people are just messing around, either waiting for more players to come in to go somewhere else, a different game mode, 
or just learning the controls like new players. I did forget to mention there is one other um, game mode, Last Man Standing. Uh, but I think I haven't played that since probably 2011 or something. Uh, yeah, I was about to say similar date. Like, I don't even remember last time I saw, saw this mode used. The last time that I played um, uh, Test of Strength as a, like, uh, competitive sort of setup and not like a, uh, just a do-whatever-you-want sort of game mode. Free play. Yeah, free play. There you go. Um, so instead of doing it free play, we were actually competing against each other, and we started at the 43,000 Seabill rank. And the thing about Test of Strength is that dealing damage using C3, using Angel Electronic Countermeasures, and things like that don't actually give you any C-bills. And so you aren't going to be able to upgrade your mech uh, by selling it and using money you've accumulated during the level. So the only way to get a bigger mech is to rank up. And so that involves d killing the enemy, shooting them, whatever, getting points, but it doesn't result in C-bills until you actually get another rank. Once you get another rank, you have to die and come and and respawn, and that's when you can actually buy a bigger mech. Yeah, the thing is, it's such a still rarely seen mode. It's it's even hard to discuss meta. I think it's. Um... Yeah, it's essentially not in common play. And the uh, except the simple, as a free play mode. Yeah, the simple uh, thing about the what meta does develop during the uh, the game is that you always have to make sure to buy a mech tank or whatever you're using that is cheap enough that you can still afford your ammo because uh even if you and if you run out of ammo and even if there's ammo resupply uh points out in the out in the map you're going to have to spend the money that you started with so if you're in an ammo hungry asset you're going to have to have a lot of money saved up from your rank, and so you have to buy way below your rank just to be able to deal with the ammo issues. And so I think laser uh, mechs and things like that show up a little more often. But enough about that. That uh, that format's not real. So that that game mode, nobody plays it. So Yeah, so I think it's, 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 it's a shame. It's a shame. It could be interesting, but... Uh... I did play something very similar once when uh, I remember Rick Hunter was messing with some of the servers. Uh, like messing with some some sort of civil uh, gain settings or rank settings, I think. And it did something similar where you just couldn't get any seedles for any reason whatsoever. Uh, but you started with like 100,000. It was completely accidental. Uh, I remember this very, very clearly because it was on TSA Ocean. Um, and it was just like, you started with like 80k, and that was all you got. And nobody realized it until after they had made their first purchases. <laughs> so, <laughs> what a good troll. Unintentional troll. Fun map. So I suppose the next least common uh, game mode that comes up is Team Solaris Arena. Oh, right, there exists a Team Variant, actually. I completely forgot about it. <laughs> I would argue for good reason. Uh, I'm sure as we get to talk a little bit more about the meta, then I can explain why. But yeah. Uh, I know in my uh, activities of writing on the wiki, uh, I've... I did some of the entry for LRM camping, and 
I decided to describe how to use LRM camping as a strategy both in terrain control and in Team Solaris Arena. And one of the things that uh, I brought up is that, at least from my perspective as I've seen it, uh, LRM camping is a lot more effective in Team Solaris Arena than it is in terrain control. That's right, and you're hitting on precisely why uh, people usually prefer terrain control over Team Solaris Arena. Because uh, TSA, for short, uh, not to be confused with the federal agency, um, is usually played in score mode uh, instead of team tickets mode, which is what terrain control is usually played in. Now, if if you're not familiar with uh, these two game modes, uh, score mode is basically anytime you're doing damage to the enemy team, your team's score goes up. And team ticket mode is you start with a high number and it it goes down every time someone on your team dies or if your team is not controlling the objectives. So basically this creates an incentive for uh, in Team Solaris Arena for your team to play as cowardly as possible uh, using indirect methods and avoiding as much damage as possible because not allowing the enemy team to get score is actually what helps you. So if they're playing so cowardly, uh, how do they get kills? It's less well, about kills. It's more just about chipping the damage that increases your score, right? And I believe that it still made a difference whether, you know, what asset you use, right? So the heavier your mech is and you get shot, the more points enemy gets. I think that was still a thing. Yes, I believe enough. so too. So, so yeah, often it would probably just, like, people stay on lighter mechs and just try to chip damage. It's 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 not exactly fun unless of course it's both teams that kind of agree not to do that sort of play style. It's, it's also I have seen it played in ticket mode as well, where even though you aren't get, you don't get points for like doing damage either. It's only for kills, which also means that like for the same reason you would just never want to expose yourself. You would want to constantly be using things that were like maybe jump snipey. Like okay, you you minimize your exposure and maximize your damage. Uh, but you just never want to die ever under any circumstances, uh, which doesn't really make for very engaging gameplay, because it just means that everybody's constantly hiding. Whereas, there like were... train control, you actually get you you are rewarded for going to different parts of the map and moving aggressively. Not really so for TSA. A single death would be enough to like make any push not worth it. One of the things I found. Uh... A number of years back when we had the Planetary League going, uh, there were occasional Team Solaris Arena matches. And in these Team Solaris Arena matches, uh, which they ended up becoming discontinued pretty quickly, because uh, when you have a competitive Team Solaris Arena match, where both sides are on comms and following orders, uh, and the sides are very organized, it ends up being very similar to a one-life drop. But once that the initial winner of that first confrontation is decided, it becomes very difficult for the other team to uh, make any headway. Because if even one player survives uh, from the first conflict, if, if, only, if even only one player survives, then they can go back, repair, and then often upgrade to a medium mech. And they come back out, and the other team has zero medium mechs and all light mechs and they have a hard time handling the one medium mech on the other side, and each time the two teams clash, 
uh, the team that was in the lead at the beginning is almost always the one that wins on the following uh, conflict. Yes, it lends itself to those type of snowball scenarios, uh, much more so than terrain control, right? Because in terrain control, uh, there's this dynamic where if you upgrade too much too early, you will inevitably have slower units and you'll sacrifice your control of the map if you don't position yourself perfectly and take long-range weapons and so on and so forth. So with the meta of Team Solaris Arena, I mostly see uh, Goss Rifles, LRMs, uh, uh, 360 torsos, so they can, like uh, vultures and stuff, so they can run away while firing, uh, that sort of thing. Arrow Force for days. Yep. All right, well, uh, I mean, that's about how much Team Solaris Arena gets played, so I suppose we could switch on to the next uh, most common format. Uh, that game mode would be uh, Solaris Arena. Yep, second most popular, actually, <laughs> it would seem. Probably. Uh, I would say it's opposite to Team Solaris Arena. Uh, devs don't matter as much, and the meta is basically at least in my experience. You just grab something that dishes out the most damage it can in a short span of time. It doesn't matter if you will die. It's just about hitting people and hitting them as much as you can before you go down, rinse and repeat. That's how you win. Unless, of course, you're going for style points where you try to, you know, survive for as long, go for as little deaths as possible and so on. But uh, I don't think that's how we win. There is some, like, I'm still not entirely sure how, like, the scoring system works in Solaris Arena. Because I know that occasionally, like, I've gotten a significantly higher, either significantly higher or significantly lower score than the person who has the highest score. But, like, if I have more deaths than the person who's below me or something, or if I have fewer deaths than the person at the top, I've still been declared the winner. Uh, so sometimes I do think it is, it's like, you mostly want to go towards just, like, okay, I want to dish out as much damage as possible, which is, like, okay, stack tons of LBX, stack tons of UAC 10s and 20s. Uh, but Streaks do be a little bit careful. Streaks too, yes. Love the uh, dual streak vulture on that game mode. Um, so, yeah, but it's like partially just okay to put out all the damage, but also try not to die. Like, kind of just run around, get sneaky kills, get sneaky damage. But it's mostly damage. I know that um, pretty frequently uh, the, the, the kills, uh, I think uh, compared to a normal terrain control or Team Slayer's Arena match, uh, that Solaris Arena free-for-all matches uh, favor kills a little more than those other uh, game modes and getting last hit. Yeah, um, I would say that kills matter more than generally getting damage out um, compared to terrain control or Solaris Arena, or Team Solaris Arena, I should say, right? Where in, in terrain control, if you're not getting kills, you're at, at the very least um, doing, like, quote-unquote tempo damage to them this is a, a fairly fresh concept that i i just arrived on recently but uh you know you'll be forcing them to go back to base and repair and not share their armor with their teammates at the same time necessarily which is what you want in order to actually win a team fight so uh you know solaris arena if you're doing damage you're pumping up your team's score that's the only thing you can do um solaris arena on the other hand is a free-for-all mode and and because living legends is designed around team play and combined arms Free-for-all kind of has some strange dynamics. Um, I would say the metagame is a lot simpler because uh, the optimal choices are much fewer and 
easier to identify. So like one example, um, and also because of the, the economy differences. So uh, free-for-all has a much faster economy. You can upgrade into bigger and more expensive things. Um, and the starting money from the ranks is also a lot higher. Um, so like for one example is the awesome Bravo with ultra AC tens and medium pulse lasers. So many of those things in Solaris arena, because it's right at a particular buy tier and it's basically the optimal, uh, intersection of armor and damage per second in the, uh, heavy assault area there. I've noticed that with, uh, that awesome, uh, at least in, um, the other game modes, you either have to ask for uh, a thousand Z bills or um, head straight for the first forward uh, base and hope that you can get a thousand Z bills by the time you get there uh, to rearm. Uh, is that a problem in Solaris Arena as well? Do you have to sort of beeline for the um, the ammo dump in the middle of the map? Pretty sure can afford ammo in Solaris. Not positive though. Well, yeah, it depends. I think you do. I think you do. It depends on the variant. I don't know about the awesome Bravo in particular, but it is always funny in a free-for-all game when uh, ordinarily you'd be able to ask for spare money from your teammates. Well, you know, I guess I'll go get some spare money by shooting at someone to refill my ammo. You know, that's kind of what you have to do. I'm still very, like, I don't know, whenever I play Solaris, I still kind of feel like I favor really mobile assets because uh, something that's a little, another, like, a detail that wasn't mentioned about why last hits are really important is that you don't get assist money in Solaris, like in uh, Terrain Control and I think probably in TSA, you get uh, money even if you don't actually kill someone. If you, like, kill someone's arm or, yeah. or like, if somebody else, like, gets the kill after you do, you get some kind of extra bonus for it. In Solaris, uh, you get money for damaging people and you get money for killing people, but if somebody else gets the kill, you don't get anything. So, I usually like to have something that is good at last hitting, that has, like, some kind of mid-range or at least hot, really bursty, like, main gun so I can quickly kill somebody really really fond of shadow cats because they can run away uh, and they can they almost always have some really high alpha damage just kind of drop on somebody and then run off i know this is more of a tactical consideration um a tactical consideration than a a meta consideration but uh, i know that when i'm playing uh in team solar or sorry in solaris arena very frequently uh the there will be three mechs in one fight me and two others and uh whenever that sort of thing happens I always shoot for the one that has the most armor currently because I want them to fight each other for as long as possible mm-hmm. uh, and to weaken yep. each other Absolutely. and then take out, take them out as they get low. Otherwise, if I, t- if I just focus on the one that's weakest from the beginning and then I kill it or the other guy kills it, then the remaining mech now has way more armor left than if I'd let that guy live for a little longer. Yeah, that's that's uh, an interesting aspect of the metagame of Solaris Arena that's particular to that game mode. Is uh, I would say your success is dependent on how well you play that game of uh, threat management. Because especially if there's more than a few people on the server, um, you're going to walk into some, you know, not just honorable 1v1s, right? So how do you survive that situation? How do you walk away with the kills? Particularly because if you don't walk away with the kills, you don't walk away with much at all, as Direwolf already explained. So there's usually this unspoken rule that the two weaker opponents of the three have to fight the third. And then, you know, if there's suddenly a change in power, usually there's a change in alliances and no one communicates. Just everyone understands these rules. And then so there's... 
most of the time. So there's funny things that happen sometimes, right, where someone who's not really aware of these dynamics gets mixed up in one of these, and then you can play around that person. Like, maybe you can play a mind game with number three and get them to shoot at that person and that person to shoot at them and not switch on you, right? It's or like when the things uh, like that. When the Ultra Auto Cannon 20 Uller is shooting at my Warhammer when there's a Fafnir right in between us. <laughs> I know, and you're like yeah, screaming at him. That's the mood. Shoot the Fafnir, damn you! Oh, yes, absolutely. Projecting uh, my energy to please shoot the Fafnir is. Uh, I've been there. You know, sometimes, of course, it can also lead to, to my favorites, where, you know, you try to do what Kentax described, and then they just both decide to turn at you for no reason. I mean, I'm just a first participant, don't, don't mind me. But uh, another thing is that if you are actually like one of the leading, if, if, if you're first place, second, maybe. Like, they often also can stop fighting each other and start shooting at you instead if they realize that that leading person um, just tuning in into the combat. But uh, Pretty sure you're worth more money, like, the higher you are on the scoreboard. Oh, yeah, I think you are. are. Yeah. So, yeah, that's how it'd be. But um, regarding what Liko said, like, I absolutely uh, agree with him that... Things like uh, the awesome with twin UAC tanks. It's, it's like most common pick uh, at the bracket for Solar Serena. Just like in good old times, it was the streak Mad Dog with, you know, what was it? To, to the SRM6s and to the SRM4s, that thing was... Even if you could have afforded Assault, you still pick that thing because of just how quickly you were able to kill people just on one-on-one combat. And those that you can't kill quickly, uh, well... They can't kill you very quickly at all because uh-huh. of all that screen shake. Um, current uh, yeah. streak vulture is still very good in that game mode and in general. Dual streak sixes to MPLs to ER smalls. It's and still good, but it's, stupidly you know, it's not the same. <laughs> yeah, but it's very silly. So yeah, I guess just pick your fights, try to get the kills. Uh, try not to get shot too much, uh, but yeah, just dish out the damage, dish out the kill, still kill if, yep. if possible. People like to joke that Solaris Arena is all about stealing kills, but really it's about the threat management and the mind games. There's fun yep. to be had. It's very chaotic. Also mobility, so that way if somebody does start to focus you, you can just eat out and force them to shoot at each other. Love jump jets and love mask in that game mode. Yeah, and then you realize that they're chasing you after you anyways. <laughs> Exposing their uh, rear torso to your other enemy. Ideally. That's true, that's true. Uh, one, so you were all talking about these high burst damage weapons like the LBXs and uh, things like Ultra Auto Cannon 20s. How come long range weapons don't really come into play in Solaris Arena? Well, part of that is map design. Um, Solaris Arena maps are generally not designed for long range engagements. There's a couple exceptions. Um, but they tend to be pretty um, brawl-focused, as we like to say. Um, and part of that is also because uh, having the highest damage per second output in a fight is going to give you the best chance of getting kills, uh, unless you're very, very good at hiding and peeking, uh, which basically just leaves you vulnerable to getting rushed. So Yeah, like things like... Long Tom or Arrows don't really have place there. Sure, can try and meme with them, but like you're a free kill if someone's pounds relatively close to you and spots you and just runs at you. Um, yeah. 
ordinarily, I mean, yeah, ordinarily, if you wanted to use weapons like Gauss rifles or you know Ultra AC2s, stuff like that, your long range weapons, you'd have teammates to back you up and sort of hide behind if you really needed to. But in a free for all, anyone can just rush you. So higher DPS wins. I'd still say that Clan uh, PPCs and Gauss rifles are still very, very good in Solaris. If you are mm-hmm. like able to, like if you know the map well enough, where you can be like, okay, these are places where I can probably see where people are going to be if they're coming at me. Uh, also, just because like Gauss rifles are really strong no matter where you are, like you're going to have lower DPS than somebody else around you. But if you're good at managing your exposure and your damage, you can just kind of like fade in and out behind cover. Like for example, the Thor Echo uh, with two clan your BBCs and the Gauss Rifle or like a Gauss Vulture, like those will still all be very good picks. Even like on relatively smaller maps like Glory. Yeah, I actually so like the... to... oh, sorry, go. Go ahead. Okay. Yes, you go. Okay, uh, I actually wanted to touch the subject of uh, Gauss Rifles in particularly on Solaris Arena. Um, like, the, obviously Gauss is great, uh, but it, it plays to that side of Solaris where you just play opportunistically with the ghost, right? Like, especially with, a, uh, with the Mad Dog with Twin Gas Rifles. You just, like, skew around the sides of a map and just take a shot in the people fighting in. Just just take advantage of that without much return fire. It's kind of like a skirmishing, just like you can right. do TSA. You can also brawl with ghosts, just perfectly fine. It just, you know, your DPS out isn't as big as, as with Ultra Auto Cannons. But yeah, Gauss, DPC is still a very solid choice if you just don't want to face people directly 50 meters away from each other. Yeah. Right. So it's not that long range weapons have no place. Um, it's just that they occupy a niche that requires a lot of effort. It requires success generally requires conditions that you have no control over. Like, are you the most proximate threat to another player? Are you the largest threat to that player? You know, and both of the answers have to be no, or else they're going to rush you and you'll wish you had picked a different weapon. It sounds like with the close range weapons, uh, you will incidentally be in the right uh, optimal range to use them. Whereas with the longer range weapons, you have to very actively position yourself Mm -hmm. uh, to use them effectively. Because like what it comes down to is uh, the only advantage of having an alpha strike weapon over a DPS weapon in a situation, an abstract situation where two mechs or whatever are trying to kill each other is you can shoot and then fade and avoid damage while your weapons recharge. And in most of these clean 1v1 situations, uh, that's not really going to happen without any teammates to stop them from getting close to you. Better putting your damage down uh, like in the right places and like making sure that you do it before they get into their optimal weapons range. But yeah, okay, that's really hard for <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. That too. Well... I think it's not digital exploitation, however you really want to call it. Yeah. We said quite a bit about Solaris Arena. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on, yeah, so I think um, before we get to terrain control, uh, probably organized play uh, comes up a lot. So uh, I know, Direwolf, you're involved in that. What's the, uh, what's the lowdown on that? Oh, okay. Uh, so first, for anyone who might not know, I help run... Currently, the only active or regular uh, single events so come every weekend. Uh, there's one. There's at least one usually. Uh, but basically, the way the meta works there is that because there's only one life, uh, there's no repair cycles, things like this. Every single shot, every single engagement counts a lot. It's hard to say like 
if there's like a single meta for it really uh other than like i mean like in terms of like what types of weapons are used because there it really depends on the map it's like okay if if the map has really long sight lines then you're probably going to have lots of like 100 meter stuff or eratms or lrms maybe but it also depends on like on the players and what their strengths are and what kind of assets they can take um it's i'm just like try, i'm trying to think of like a, a specific thing but it, it's really it's really map dependent mostly and mostly i think like if i have to choose okay what characterizes maps it's about sidelines it's about how long like if you're standing in any given part of the map how far away can you see other parts of the map and like how like how much range do you have to cover to get to a place where you have cover for example so if you're like on oasis say where you have like tons of 1000 meter sidelines uh, and there's not too many places. Like you, you have to spend like ten minutes going around the edge of the map if you want to effectively flank. Like when a team is just if a team sits on a hill, then like you're probably going to want to have a list with lots of long range weapons, or at least, or if you're not going to go for really long range weapons and like with a ton of laser anti missile systems to deal with LRMs things like that. Uh, and if you're like on a map like Boggs, let's say, where you don't have that many long sight lines and it's all about like manipulating cover, you're probably going to do really well if you take tons of LBX, tons of tanks, things with lots of armor. Lots of pot space, that kind of thing. Uh, that's that's my general understanding of it, and I'm sure there's tons of other ways of formulating this. I'd love to hear what kids in Lego have to say. The thing is, I don't really have much experience with the uh, current iteration of your competitive play, right? The, 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 I, I don't think I participated in a single one. You know, I'm from Chaos Marches era, which like would be whole topic. Uh, you know, probably all the modes combined wouldn't take as much talking as. Uh, duelist uh, chaos march right yeah uh, to break it down uh, but yeah like, cm had its not, own dynamics yeah so, but since it's not actively run thing uh probably we shouldn't be discussing chaos march right yeah, uh actually. but yeah i i, I just agree with the on that like it makes sense that's how would i see you know you guys play uh, your yeah uh, your competitive mode i probably should hop, hop on sometimes to see it on my own but yeah yeah you should check them out would be cool they're good fun but yeah uh so the one defining feature of the metagame in organized play as I see it uh, for the last year or so uh, has definitely been, um, well, so I, I should probably back up a little to explain a concept for the audience here. So if, if you don't play a lot of Battletech or MechWarrior games, um, everything in this setting, all the units basically exist on a, a triangular space where one point is maneuverability, one point is armor, and another point, the third point is firepower. And if you're at the maximum of one of them, you're sacrificing the other two. And most things in MechWarrior Living Legends are two of those and not the third. So in organized play, the metagame that I see is almost always maximize armor first and then firepower second. Uh, And that's specifically because of the format where every little bit of damage and every amount of damage that you can soak up or avoid counts and that is all that counts there's no objectives other than deal damage avoid damage be the last one standing destroy the enemy so uh that's really all there is to it uh and now the beautiful thing about the format is that you can find a lot of ways to do that so you know you can go with the old chaos march stratagem of get lots of gauss rifles or a spotter and a whole crap ton of missiles and Park yourself on a really nice hill, or uh, you know, you can get a, a a drop list that has overwhelming firepower 
and try to plot a route around the map where you can run into the enemy almost or already within your weapons range and smash them before they can react or figure out what happens. Um, and, you know, those are two totally different and even opposite approaches. But uh, where I see similarity is you almost always see people picking uh, the maximum armor that they can. Like, for example, because this format is usually C-Bill based in its current incarnation, uh, a Warhammer costs, uh, the cheapest Warhammer costs about as much as the most expensive Puma, which are respectively a 70 and 35 ton mech. Um, so in organized play, you will never, ever see someone take that Puma compared to the Warhammer, because the Warhammer is going to bring twice as much armor into play, even though it barely has any more firepower. There are definitely some other types of, like, there are situations where people will take uh, more specialized assets. Like, actually, there was, I remember very distinctly, uh, uh, it was a Thunder Rift game, which involved a Puma Prime. Uh, and we won very hard on that game, because the idea was, that because uh, most of the list, though it's still kind of mostly fit to, to kind of a, uh, kind of like maximizing armor. Uh, that sort of... Armor is almost always, like, the best thing you can possibly choose. Uh, but, like, there was more like, okay, we have a ton of armor already in our list, so we're going to have a specialist who is going to do something special that's or that's a little bit harder for anybody else to do and fill some unique utility and forces the enemy team to react in a certain way. So that time it was it was Denny, uh, Denner Walker, a pretty good player, uh, formerly of starter. I'm not sure what his current status is, but... Yeah, he was in our Puma Prime, and the rest of us were all in tanks uh, with ACM right next to the enemy team. And the idea was that he took a position, like kind of an Overwatch, a few hundred meters away, like forcing the enemy team to like, okay, you are going to just take damage from me because I can outmaneuver all of your fairly fat assets, and just like keep clicking at you. And you have to either like keep rotating around the map, keep trading poorly until eventually the rest of my team with all of its tanks and the LBX, etc., can just rush at you and kill you, uh, or you commit early. Which is also potentially a problem because do you really think that you can outfight the rest of my team? So, but still, mostly like armor is like the strongest and probably the simplest way to play. Like you, I've also seen like a few other players like uh, former like the artist formerly known as Charles Leclerc, who goes by a million names, has played many times the Regulator Fox and done a simulator thing. Just kind of like, all right, he's the only person like in a fast asset. The entire rest of the team is in like really high firepower, really high armor assets. And either, like, you deal with the big blob of enemies, or you try and reposition around the regulator, which is eating all of your back torsos. Kind of thing. I remember in the right. old Chaos March that there were really common uh, uh, lists that didn't focus on armor, uh, where they had lots and lots of maneuverable mechs. So you'd see, like, five or six Black Lanterns and a Shadow Cat or something. Do things like that happen in the current iteration of uh, uh, competitive gameplay? Not very often. Uh, when it's happened, I don't think it's usually went very well, if you significantly underbuy. Because uh, actually, I didn't mention this too much, Liko alluded to it, but yeah, the core of the format that I currently run is that assignments are based around C-bills. As in, like, teams or individuals are given, like, okay, here's a random amount of... Everybody gets, like, a random amount of money. It's like, okay, here, this person has 90,000 C-bills, this person has 80, this person has 65, whatever. Uh, so when you're, like, going by C-bills, the idea is you probably want to make the most out of that, that amount of money. If you're just kind of working individually, uh, which means that like okay, if I if I can buy like a Warhammer for like seventy thousand, or I can buy a Black Lantern, like if you want to go with mobility, it requires a lot. Like the entire team usually has to take advantage of it somehow. Uh, like either the person in that mobile asset has to be very good at managing aggro, like the aforementioned like 
the one person the puma or the one person the regulator who are able to like constantly avoid dying and keep putting out their damage uh or maybe the whole team is like you know gonna go all in on this that way they can constantly keep a, a long distance because they can't afford to ever get rushed because they'll all they'll lose uh if the other team has more armor and gun so like just most of the time what like what we see is people either going full on armor and tanks or it'll be some like variation of like okay uh mostly firepower or mostly armor and then with some specialists to kind of like mitigate that it's a matter like list building tends to be a lot of like you choose one general approach and you commit to that mostly but like just to make sure that you don't get hard countered that like somebody doesn't take a kiting asset that can keep chipping you down or something that just can like eat all of your firepower if you're something that's really mobile right you always like have one or two other types of units that can help like add a bit more versatility to your list the uh the metagame of list building and organized is something that i really enjoy and uh that's that's one of those little things that tells me we're doing something right here in living legends with the balances that it it almost kind of feels like a, a tabletop list building process where you're thinking about you know what you don't want to leave yourself vulnerable to while you're building around a coherent strategy uh you always have to keep in mind you know counterplays and the map that you're playing on and everything like that and uh, there are a lot of constraints, but there are equally many possibilities. Yep, I agree. With um, organized play, uh, I know in the past with Chaos March, there were uh, aircraft that were included when there were certain, as long as there was a certain number of players uh, on a map. Uh, what's it like with the current organized play? So that's actually been a bit of a like a challenging bit for me. Because I do think that, like, aerospace have a really interesting place in single life. Uh, like, for example, there is also another set of single life, like an invitational uh, single life event run by Carbonell. Uh, but not open to the public. So for their uh, aerospace are permitted over when there's a certain number of players, usually. But occasionally, like, there are other... It's not only if build restrictions uh, that are put on some maps. Like, sometimes it'll be like, okay, just to make things more interesting, it'll be like, okay, here, your team will have a slot for 60,000, 80,000, but then also a Thanatos and a Hewitt or something. Uh, so occasionally they'll just be kind of like, all right, no aircraft permitted just, just this time, or there one must aircraft may be taken or must be taken. Uh, so I, I always think that like aircraft, like airspace, especially add a lot of depth because like it does mean that okay, if you're if you're devoting a lot of sea bills to aerospace uh, or devoting tonnage to aerospace rather, it means that that's something that's not on the ground and that makes you more vulnerable to somebody on the ground hitting you. Okay, I'm actually I'm kind of like getting a little bit ahead of myself here, uh, because just let me let me first like first talk a little bit about kind of like how aerospace are currently handled. So in the format that I run, aerospace are not really permitted, at least not in the regular rule set. Mostly because like aerospace are only piloted by like a pretty small subset of the Living Legends population, which also means that like if I were to I, I want to like keep teams balanced most of the time. I want to have people to have fun. I don't want it to be like oh the other team can do all sorts of stuff that we can't or they are all monumentally better than us or better coordinated, etc. So to that effect, it's it's really hard for me to like say, okay, uh, airspace are allowed when only like in a given weekend, I may only have like one person in the whole whole group that actually knows how to fly airspace effectively or certain types of airspace effectively. So I don't really want to make it so that like, okay, one team has an airspace pilot, one doesn't. Um, but like once or you even, have, or even if yeah, go ahead. both teams have one, but one of them is like a god tier aerospace player who can absolutely dumpster the other. Yeah, that's kind of how it is. Yeah, and also just also even if you can't fly aerospace, some people have a lot of trouble actually dealing with them, like kind of knowing, like all right, when should we start looking at the aerospace and when should we like totally ignore it? Uh, 
which is its which is its own thing, and I guess we can talk about it once we get to terrain control. Uh, but yeah, in short, uh, currents format ASF are not permitted, uh, like in the regular like regular drops, unless like there are it's an exceptional situation where like I know there are good ASF pilots on both teams, and I'm like, all right, here you both have roughly the same restrictions, so you can do this. Um, if if there's a little bit more control over like. Ideally, I would have airspace permitted all the time, uh, provided there are enough players, so it's not totally obnoxious. Where it's like, oh, I need to have one person constantly looking at the sky. Uh, then I, I would, I would want that. But for now, it's just kind of like the only airspace assets I allow are VTOLs, uh, just because they're usually pretty cheap. And it also means that, like, if you're taking one, you're sacrificing tonnage on the ground, and it can potentially inhibit the way your team functions. It's an interesting choice, though, if you like want to have really, really good sensor sensor coverage. Or you want to have like some way of finishing off targets when your team is really slow or something like that, but people don't usually do it. So I heard Liko mention that uh, he likes the um, list building aspect of organized play, but uh, what uh, what is the usual appeal? What's the appeal for most players that draws them to organized play? Well, um, I would say organized play is the best MechWarrior Living Legends experience that you can possibly get. Because uh, when you have the entire team on a voice channel coordinating their actions together without the delay of, you know, typing on your keyboard... User disconnected from your channel. (laughs) He hit it a little bit too hard. (laughs) Perfect timing. User was moved to your channel. I typed on my keyboard for dramatic effect and disconnected myself with a hotkey. That was great. I'm leaving that in. So, great, excellent. Uh, where was I? So you don't have to type at your teammates. You can just talk to them. Um, and that alone elevates the level of play significantly. Um, and it uh, enables some more complex plays and uh, just a, an overall higher level of coordination and a more pleasant experience. Because uh, MechWarrior Living Legends also has like a, an international player base. And I I feel like um, participating in combat while also appropriately participating in team play using their keyboards may be challenging for a lot of people. Um, So, you know, it creates a lot of bridges there as well. I failed that one. (laughs) No, just talking, just talking. (laughs) So, yeah... um... I would just say that it's it's an elevated level of play compared to a public, uh, non-organized lobby. Yeah, absolutely, Lucas. Right. Um, it's the best experience if 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 someone decides to just give it a shot. And uh, of course, it can be daunting for new players, but that's the I think that's the main problem because they might not know maps, they might not know max, that they might not know people. Um. So it seems like kind of closed environment, like kind of elitistic uh, and whatnot. But uh, yeah, if you give it a shot, it's definitely uh, the closest, the best games come out of the uh, organized play. Yeah, and you learn a ton by like osmosis. Uh, yeah, you learn. Yeah, yeah. That that was the other thing I was going to mention is uh, I, you know, I, I've tried to coach a lot of people through the learning curve of MechWarrior Living Legends over the years, and I found that just dumping people right into organized play actually seems to be the best way to teach, because that way you don't actually have to explain anything. Uh, a new player can actually just 
kind of see how everyone behaves when they're completely on top of their game uh, at, at peak performance, right? And um, they can kind of see all those complex dynamics in play and actually understand things that might otherwise go unspoken between advanced players in uh, a public lobby. So I would cover organized terrain control, but without having first introduced terrain control uh, in pub games, uh, it would be kind of weird. So I think we're going to go move on to pub games first. Right. All right. Well, you know, we, we can compare and contrast organized versus pub games when we talk about terrain control in general. Okay. So that conversation on terrain control is going to go pretty long. So we're going to end this one here. And we'll pick the other one back up next week. I'd like to give a shout out to Timothy Seals for our intro music and Shivaxi for our closing music. This has been Returning to Base, a Mech Warrior Living Legends podcast. We hope you join us next time.